Cruz, the Crispy Cruiser, formerly of World Championship Wrestling. And this is the Atomic Podcast, where he blows up the news on a verbal scale. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, he's back again. The Crispy Cruiser, Chris Cruz. How you doing, Chris? Hey, man. Glad to be with you again. Yeah, man. It's been a while, a year since we talked. Last year, basically, there was a lot of stuff going on in the news with Hogan and the N-Word and um, wrestling about your career, talking about Terry Funk. Um, I want to get your opinion, your views on the whole Trump Hillary Clinton fiasco, or whatever you want to call it. Um, what's your take on on this historic event? It was a massive fail, it seems to me, of establishment media and establishment polling. And it's been fascinating to me, uh, you know, as a person who's kind of in that sphere, you know, here in Washington, D.C., thinking, well, you know, we knew it. We, we just didn't know how, how badly Donald Trump would lose. You know, we all were sure, and it was just a matter of counting the votes, so... It's been fascinating <laughs> how much I was and how to touch uh, basically all of my colleagues were with, you know, I think what Senator Ted Cruz has called flyover country, uh, you know, the revenge of flyover country. So it was kind of the rising up of rural America, of white America, saying, you know, we're, we're on the way out, you know, and, and the demographics aren't good for us, but, you know, we, we're rising up and we're taking over at least for this election, the next four years, I think, are going to be fascinating. You know, it's uh, Donald Trump tweets late at night, early on Sunday mornings. It, it, it's like there's there's never a shortage of news when Donald Trump is around. I know. It's just so fascinating. Even the, the where I live at now, the state of Wisconsin, they're doing the recount. And um, you have so many. It, it's weird how they say you can't talk about religion and politics with friends and colleagues. And, you know, you're on Facebook as well. And people, you know, will delete somebody or, you know, everybody has their own different beliefs. Um, how, you know, you know, Trump is polarizing. Hillary's polarizing. Um, how do you feel about all that in like, have you lost any friends because of this? Or, like, what's your stance? Who you, who do you support? Well, you know, one of the things that I do because I'm a, you know, I, I cover national politics, and, and not every political reporter agrees with me, but I'm aggressively moderate and aggressively nonpartisan, uh, especially since I work at the Voice of America, which is a federal entity during the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and weekends, I'm on the Westwood One radio network. And, and so what we're trying to do is call it straight down the middle and you do that to the greatest extent possible. You, you know, you may have your own uh, political leanings, whether it's, it's liberal or conservative, but ultimately you have to answer to your audience, you have to answer to your, your editors and to yourself. And so I try not to take a, a stand either way, because uh, one of the things that I've done all my life is I've read history and I've read political and military history, and you just see the ebb and flow of American history. And is one person right, is one person wrong? I don't know, but what's happened is, you know, you will see these corrective uh, elections that we have sometimes, wave elections, when America, which is ultimately a center-right to center-left country, if it gets too far one way or the other, the voters will pull it back. And I think a lot of Americans felt that America was getting too liberal, let's pull it back to the center. And then if it gets too conservative, then people will pull it back to the left. 
what do you th well what's your stance about Jill Stein and Gary Johnson like how you think they fared <laughs> pretty much well it's interesting you know uh, for years kind of like the great uh, mist that a third party would arise and it, it simply hasn't happened uh -huh. uh, everybody's got a right to run whatever party but uh, we seem to be so ingrained that people are either Republicans or Democrats and that the third parties have little if any influence and it never does because generally the libertarian and green party uh positions are so out of the mainstream of american politics that you know they certainly they have a purism to them and and people are just not going to jump on that bandwagon we are ultimately either republicans or democrats yeah that's totally true and also with, you know, I think I haven't seen anything like this since, you know, Bush won and, you know, everybody's talking about the electoral votes. This, you know, this needs to be discarded. Um, what's your stance on the electoral college? Um, you think it should be voided or you think it's been a staple, you know, of America that it should always be here? I started doing some research on it and, yeah. you know, uh, and I'm going to write a, a fairly long article about it. Uh, Whatever way you feel about the electoral college, the fact is that whenever somebody wins more votes than the other person and they don't win the election, Americans, their ears perk up and their, their eyebrows go up and they say, wait a minute, what's this all about? And yet to, to change things that are, that are written into the Constitution is extraordinarily hard. And the, the founders made it difficult as well. So, you know, unfortunately for the Democrats, they're the ones that have, you know, they went into this benefiting from kind of, a, you know, the, 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 the very beginning they were going to, you know, take over the Electoral College, essentially. But it showed that a Republican can, uh, you know, overcome that natural advantage that Democrats have. And what it's rooted in, if you look at the history of it, and, and, and one of the challenges was when the founders created the Electoral College, we didn't have these large cities and large states. And so things have changed dramatically, but the question ultimately is, uh, are the American people ready to make the change to a more than 200-year-old process? And I don't think they are. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just fascinating because, you know, Saturday Night Live is having a field day. Their ratings are through the roof. Alec Baldwin does a, a hell of an impression of Donald Trump. Um, there's, I think this was probably... I'm, I'm, I don't know my facts, but I don't know. This is probably the most watched, I guess, debate in history. I don't know. You probably know more about that than I do. But um, I, I think everybody who even who are not politically savvy was watching this debate. And it's kind of fascinating to me that, you know, a reality star, uh, a guy who's in the WWE Hall of Fame, um, a guy who's, you know, been part of the wrestling industry with WrestleMania. He's hosted it in Trump Plaza. Um, a guy who's a, a, a businessman, uh, had his own university, has made it this far. What do you think is, like, you know, I still can't grasp my hands around it on how he made it this far. What what do you think got him to where he's at now as the president? It, it seems to me, and I've been reading a lot about this the past few weeks, is that a large segment of American society didn't feel like they were being listened to. Now, mm -hmm. They, uh, and so many people that I know that voted for Trump really were voting against Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. Mm -hmm. uh, they felt that the Democrats were more concerned about minority issues and which bathroom to use 
and not concerned enough about the economy and that Donald Trump, you know, being the marketer that he is and the deal maker that he is, I, I think he somehow had his finger on the pulse of things and was listening to people that, that folks in the D.C., Washington, kind of the Acela Corridor uh, were, were blinded to or were deaf to. And, uh, and I think he exploited those masterfully and showed that he could win uh, nationwide. I, I think he also realized that there were important uh, influences and power centers on the, on the West and East Coasts, but that there were also very, very important power centers throughout the Midwest. And I think he exploited them in the Southwest as well and in the Southeast. And he just plain knew what he was doing when most other people had no idea what they were doing. They were just going by what they thought was right. So ultimately, I think it was marketing. I think it was understanding your market and marketing to that market. Donald Trump knows how to sell soap. <laughs> you said that's very eloquently said. Um, especially, no problem. Especially in Wisconsin. I'm surprised. Wisconsin, you know, well, I don't, I don't think I shouldn't be surprised. They are eating Trump. Like, you know, going from, you know, driving to work and you'll see all the Trump pen signs. Like, he's really big in the Midwest. What do you think... Um, the Midwest fasc fascination with Donald Trump is? I think it's it's a fascination uh, less with Trump than it is that people were, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton did not age well with a lot of people. Yeah, she had yeah. been in the public eye for 25 years. And, I, you know, again, when I speak to, to liberals, they really love Hillary. And when I speak to conservatives, they really hate Hillary. And so... You know, many folks were like, I don't care who it is. I just don't want Hillary Clinton in office. And and they felt that that they weren't listened to, that Hillary Clinton was dealing with every one of their, the issues except the issues that they really wanted to be concerned with. Also, I don't want to get all political on this because I'm not really a political podcast per se, but um, I just want to talk to you about, you know, I'm glad we talked about Trump and Clinton. Um, what have you been up to lately? And um, keep the fans uh, abreast of what's been going on in the world of the Krispy Cruise or Chris Cruz? I've talked to a few wrestling organizations. I'm always open to that. Uh, some folks have said I should maybe do play-by-play -play on mixed martial arts, but, you know, right now I, I work seven days a week. I work five days a week as a federal employee at the Voice of America, and then on Saturday and Sunday mornings I'm anchoring on the 800 station Westwood One Radio Network. Uh, I'm also teaching classes. I teach classes in credit uh, and, and FICO scores. I'm teaching a class on the 70s, and then in April up in Pittsburgh I'm going to be teaching a class at a community college there on the the life and career of Bruno San Martino. So I'm gearing up for that. Wow, that's that, that, that I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Um, how much research did you have to do to teach a class of Bruno San Martino? Like, how much um, research um, are, is is going into your your class? Like, how much work did you have to do? Well, it's really life, you know, a lifelong kind of thing. I've barely been, you know, I'm 57. I'll be 58 in July, and I've been. Uh, I've known of Bruno San Martino literally since I was nine years old, and he and I talk every day, if not every other day, uh, and, and it's just a matter of reading. There's a ton of information online, uh, and, and trying to figure out, okay, I've got two or three hours here uh, one week, and then two or three hours next week at the class, and how is it that I can teach about the history of pro wrestling, the history of wrestling in Pittsburgh, and the history of San Martino, as, long, as well as the history of the 30s, 40s, and all those decades. So it's a, it's a heavy lift, 
you know, there's a lot of people, you know, Tony Schiavone, um, a lot of guys who've been in WCW have made the transition to other careers in, you know, other careers in the business, well, you know, away from the wrestling business. Um, you've done that as well, but, um, you know, there's a lot of fans who definitely miss you and miss your analytical perspective on matches. Um, do you miss calling matches? It's, you know, it's one thing to call matches, but do you actually miss the, you know, the product? I do. I do. Yeah. I, you know, I think, like, you know, wrestling is different than baseball, and you kind of sort of age out of it. Uh, you, you know, but I, you look at Jim Ross, who's been doing it for all those years, yeah. and even he couldn't stay away from it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to do more of it. I did some things a couple of years ago for a small group in Arkansas called Traditional Championship Wrestling. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just really tough. If it's not WWE... Um, you know, there are certainly some, and I guess what I've been fascinated by is there are so many promotions out there uh, now that, that not only are doing well on the indie circuit, but they've got good television. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of marketing yourself, and I just have it. A couple of groups have asked me to, to commit to something, but at seven days a week, it's just very tough to do. That's true. Also, you know, people have outlets to do it like you know jim ross has a podcast jim Cornette has a podcast i can go names and names who have podcasts have you ever thought about doing a podcast yourself well yes but the problem is that it, I, I guess before i do something i always want to say okay is somebody else doing this doing it well and doing it better and so there's so many wrestling podcasts out there nowadays and I'm like, can I do that any better? The other thing is, I think to do a wrestling podcast, you've got to really be deep into it. So I'll read the newsletters, and I'll watch a little bit of Raw, maybe the first hour or something. But, but you know, I'm not at the level that I used to be where I knew everybody and everything from A to Z. That's kind of faded away. So I, I think you really, you know, I just don't see that there's a need for another wrestling podcast out there. I guess you don't necessarily have to focus all on wrestling, you know, basically everything you have going on in your life and a little bit of wrestling because, you know, even though you say, you know, some people do it better, but not everybody is Chris Cruz. You know, you might add a little bit of flavor to it. So um, it's not necessarily saying, you know, Jim Ross is better than you, but, you know, I'm sure he definitely has probably more po popularity than you, but you might add a little bit of a little bit of a flavor, like a little bit of a ramen noodle type type situation, you know, in there. You could throw yeah, in a little something. I about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it may be something to think about because from what I see, you know, I, I do a weekly podcast at Voice of America anyway, and so I know how to put these things together and edit them and write them and produce them and that type of thing. So it, it may be something for me to think about. Yeah, I, I definitely think you should because um, just about everybody has one and, you know, some are better than others, some are good, but, you know, it's just like potato chips, you know, you're not going to have bontons all the time and you're not going to have white cheddar popcorn, you know, you're going to have your nachos, you're going to have um, onion garlic, so it's a lot of flavors for everybody and everybody gets to choose what they want to listen to, so I think it would be a good thing. Yeah, I, uh, I can tell you that uh, I, I have never tired of white cheddar popcorn, <laughs> I could eat that, I could eat that day and night, <laughs> I love it. I don't. I wonder why they don't sell white cheddar popcorn in a movie theater. They sell the little the little powder thing that you could put on it, but they don't actually have white cheddar popcorn. Oh, <laughs> uh, jeez, that white cheddar cheese puffs. Oh my goodness, I'm addicted. <laughs> um, Chris, um, I'll be remiss if I didn't say. I can you tell me? I'm sure in that 
you know, mind of yours, you have great, you have probably one of the best memories in the business. You got to have some raunchy or rated NC-17 or rated R stories or be rated PG-13 stories or team stories. You have to have any, some story you got to tell me about Terry Funk or whoever, whoever, there's got to be a funny story. Well, regarding Terry specifically, uh, you know, he's known as a, a really nice guy. But one of the things that, that you've got to know about Terry is that he's legit. And that's the other thing is that all these wrestlers that you meet, they're generally very nice people. But it's very important to understand that these are folks who fight for a living and who are in tremendous shape and are dealing with a, a lot of pressure. And you have to be very, very careful how you deal with them. Not that they can snap, but but that, you know, if you push them too far, they will say something or they'll give you a look. And I think that maybe people say, well, it's kind of cartoonish and they're just doing this or doing that. But these are legit fighters. And I, I don't know that maybe we've marketed it well enough to for, for people to understand this. They say, well, they pull a punch. Okay, let's say they pull a punch by an inch. So what would it take for them to not pull that punch by an inch, to really connect? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I've always thought that pro wrestlers are the best athletes in the world, and I wish more people would know that and see that. Uh, but these are genu- genuinely, uh, you know, interesting people, characters, storytellers who have decided, you know, to embark on a very, very difficult way of life. And I just have always respected all the wrestlers from literally from the job guys, from the, you know, the curtain jerkers, they call them, all the way up to champions. It's an extraordinarily difficult life. And I think we should all respect the guys who take bumps and the gals. Mm-hmm. Any, any particular stories you have? Well, I, I would tell you that, you know, you don't spend a whole lot of time in the locker rooms, but the times that I did, um, there was a certain amount of, I guess I'd say, modesty. There's a, an obsession with cleanliness, yeah. uh, you know, with, with smelling good, uh, an obsession with hygiene. Also, there's a, an obsession with how much you can you can pack in a small suitcase. You know, I've always been fascinated by that. And these guys are tremendous road warriors. They can be on the road for 30 days straight and have maybe two outfits. Uh, and the locker room situation, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the packing order and the sharing of information is just extremely important. Uh, and I've also been kind of saddened in that the guys know that, that somebody can leave at any time. And so while there are some relationships, uh, mostly they're very, very surface. So everybody kind of sort of knows everybody else. But I've also noticed uh, uh, some reticence about getting too close because you never know when that guy who becomes your friend, your close friend, is gone. Mm-hmm. So I've always found that fascinating about the life that, it, that everybody's together. It's like, you know, in the Army, when I was in the Army, you know, guys coming in and out of the unit. You just couldn't get too close to guys. Yeah, that's, that's true. You know, I guess, you know, sometimes the wrestlers, you know, like, there will, there will probably be friends, but, you know, they... But pretty much at a distance because you know they don't know they don't know how long that person's gonna stay, right? Yeah, it, you just don't know. And the other thing is that you know there's only so many spots. Now, I know people have joked about that, or the Arn Anderson thing, you know, take my spot or whatever. Yeah. But you know you're you're competing against these guys. There's a limited number of spots, and so you want somebody to do well, but not so well that they outshine you. So 
know, it, it can be a very nerve-wracking thing. You, uh, the other thing uh, that people should understand about pro, pro wrestling is that so much of a person's career is out of their control. It's ultimately up to the promoters whether these guys will succeed or not. That's why you can find people who are very charismatic, who know what they're doing in the ring, who take care of their body, the timing wasn't right, maybe they've alienated the promoter somewhat. Uh, it's so incredibly negative and so incredibly political that that you have to have so many skills. I, I've been convinced that guys can come out of pro wrestling and do just about anything. So just even Dora coming out of, of pro wrestling and becoming a governor, it wasn't much of a surprise because he had managed so many of those different personalities and had developed such an incredible skill set yeah, that's true. And then even his son Tyrell, who I've talked to plenty of times, is you know an um, uh, analyst in RT America for um, watching the Hawks, and you know he's he's doing his thing too. So like you know from the beginning, Jesse always had that mindset where you know he was meant for you know bigger things. You know I probably would have thought he would just would have stood in Hollywood, but politics I didn't I didn't really see that coming, and you know. The success that he had, wow, it's amazing. Well, it's funny because, you know, in the green room uh, at WCW in Atlanta, you know, we, we, when he came in, we would all sit around and talk. And at some point, he had been already been elected mayor, and he was talking about running for governor and president. And we'd all look at each other and roll our eyes. We're like, like, that's ever going to happen, you know? But, <laughs> uh, but he showed us all uh, that we were wrong, and he, and he won in one pick. Yeah, him and uh, Schwarzenegger, and now Trump. It's 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 fascinating, you know what, you know how the and Ronald Reagan. If you want to throw him in there, it's just you know how everybody in the limelight and you know people who have aspirations of, you know like in in my podcast I talk to people about passions and doing what they're meant to do and not being complacent in, you know basically a regular nine to five and you know even if your nine to five is being a post office fan and hey more power to you but you know I, those individuals had that it factor where they they knew they were meant for bigger things or meant to do something else so it's it's still fascinating you know hearing that and even you saying that from your mouth is just amazing yeah and some of these guys you know some people he just believed in himself and there was nothing that was going to stop it it's amazing. Um, all right, um, Chris, I know you have to go, but um, my final question to you, I think I've asked you this before, but I want to see if you change your answer. Um, what would the Chris of today tell the Chris of yesterday? Relax, I guess. You know, things are going to be okay, you know. And uh, and also, I, you know, it's funny because my mouth has got me in trouble, but I think my advice would probably be to speak up more and that, that you know, the times that you've remained silent in the face of, say, injustice uh, are times that you regret it. So I guess I would say understand your value, understand your skills, be able to exploit that value and those skills, and find the right people that are in your life. And I, I think maybe that's something that I didn't do. But primarily it would be relax because things are all going to work out in the end. Awesome advice, relax, because everybody's always rushing in life and... You know, we we tend to live a long life. People say, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna die when I'm 40." Um, you know what? We're still going, and um, it's it's not about how fast you get there. It's about you know, yeah, I guess you know, it's not a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So it's gonna take a while, but you will get there. Yeah, you gotta you got a lot to learn. There's a lot of building blocks that you have to create. Uh, 
success, they ain't even funny. And so you say, wow, I failed. And then you analyze that, and then you move on, and you build on it. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. Um, Chris, plug your social media. Plug any upcoming events you might have. Yeah, well, I'm on Facebook, uh, and I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, the, the handle is crispy, at Crispy Cruiser. And then in, uh, let me see, I'm teaching a class here in D.C. on the 70s in February. Uh, and, but then the big news is, of course, in April, I'll be teaching a class up at the Community College of Allegheny County in Pittsburgh, uh, a two-part class. Uh, one uh, in, in, I think, early April, the other in mid-April or mid and late April for three hours. And we're told that a lot of folks are going to be signing up for that class on the life and career, uh, the extraordinary life and career of professional wrestling's living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Is that something that's going to be taped in your classroom and you'll be able to show? Well, you know, some folks have asked about that, and I don't know what the community college of Allegheny County's policy is on that, but, you know, we're fine with this. As far as I'm concerned, anybody can film it. They can do whatever they want. We're going to have some guest speakers come in. So, yeah, it'd be great. I'm sure we're going to have some reporters come in as well. But, uh, but no, it, uh, you know, I'd love to do an iPaper if you wanted. So we'll see what happens next. But a lot of people have been thinking about that. Oh, that sounds amazing, Chris. Um, thank you so much for your time, and um, as always, you're always a pleasure, and I definitely appreciate talking with you. My pleasure. Great to be here. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>